Hi, my name is Jess Rosenberg, and welcome to the Great Design Lead podcast. I'm a director of brand design and creative at Webflow, and right now I am working closely with the brand studio team to kick off a lot of really exciting projects for Webflow for 2023. Perfect. That was a perfect intro first time. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Me to do it I was trying to think of like, like how specific should I be for the third one or, but if you think no. that was good, then we can that roll with that. That was 100% perfect. Okay, a, great. A, a lot of the time I, I tell people like, you can do it as many times as you want and then we'll just cut to the one that you like, but you got it right <laughs> off the bat. So good job. <laughs> okay, awesome. Yeah. The script helps. So thank you for that. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I, I've been really looking forward to getting to know you. Um, I've I've done uh, I do a lot of research on uh, everybody <laughs> that I hang out with, and so it was really cool to like get to know you from there. And like I don't know, I went through like your whole Instagram, and I went through like every, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. Pretty, I have a pretty large internet footprint. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like that. It, it was um uh, one of my favorite things to do, especially when people. Um, kind of it's almost like a like a like a diary Um, I like to go to the bottom and then then go all the way back up but it's like this just like seeing a story um, over time yeah it's like well you're like a uh, like a journalist like a reporter in a way like you're doing (laughs) research on your subjects before you interview them it's very like journalistic style approach which is really cool I uh, how I like to start um, with people is I love to ask them my favorite question um, and so that question is, when you were a little kid, uh, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, that's such a good question. I knew from a very young age that I wanted to be something creative. And I went through these phases as a child of, it was all these different types of drawing phases. So like, I was really little, I would draw houses, but they would be like these elaborate houses with like five swimming pools and like you know, tennis courts and horse stables and like just a vision of like the most ridiculous house you could possibly think of. And I loved just like drawing those for a while. And I went through like a fashion design phase where I drew clothes. And then as I got older, I started um, realizing that I was like, oh, I really like advertising. And I went through a phase where I was collecting absolute vodka and got milk ads. And I had them in this like trapper keeper, like really keepers where I would just like collect them so the desire to be something creative was always in me from a very you know young age and it always like evolved to be something different but related as I grew do you have you ever gone back to look at those home designs when you were a little kid I wish my so my mom kept literally everything but I, we, I couldn't find those and like the boxes she recently sent me because my parents recently moved and um, they sent me boxes of like a bunch of stuff from growing up and unfortunately none of them were in there but I, I can remember them very vividly yeah in my mind yeah what kind of kid were you at that age at the at the architecture stage or the the, the interior design stage yeah I was really shy with other people I just liked like exploring the ideas I had in my head on paper and loved Mm -hmm. spending time with myself with like markers and crayons and pencils and just exploring that world of imagination on my own and 
I'm, I'm still an introvert. I was definitely an introvert as a child. (laughs) As I grew older and, you know, became an adult and, you know, a professional in the world, I've kind of like had to exert more extrovert muscle. Um, But back as a kid, I was definitely like, you know, in my corner, drawing all the things and just like having a grand old time doing it. There was a, um, uh, a photo that a drawing that my mom saved, um, that I did as a kid. Uh, and so like when I would, when people would say like, draw your house, um, or like draw your home in elementary school, um, everybody would draw like the front where you have the front door and everything like that. But, um, we would, uh, come into the like the side so where your garage was it was uh-huh. on the, the other side of the house and I remember drawing that where it's the garage door and then I don't know it yeah. just wasn't the front of the house and I remember yeah. for some reason my mom thought that that was so um surprising she she I don't know why but she was like oh my yeah. gosh like you don't have this is how you experience life as a kid like this is your huh. perspective I don't know I guess it's like Sometimes when you were when you're a little kid and you like go to family members' home and then you walk in as you're older and you say, Yeah, like, wow, like everything is um shorter than I remember. Like when I was yeah. a little kid, everything was so much taller. I don't know. It's yeah. just like interesting ways that a kid has a different perspective than um I don't know, than when you get older. Totally. Yeah. And I think like it's interesting thinking of like the house drawing example because you took a different approach to drawing your house, right? You saw things differently as a kid. I would never be able to draw like a basic looking house. It was always this like extravagant, ridiculous, like, you know, otherworldly type of like example. And so it's just interesting to think about small children, creative people like ourselves and how we did things differently even back then. The one thing that that you said about like keeping ads and things like that in the Trapper Keeper, um, I used to save uh magazines. Like it was an aggressive amount. And I remember I don't know why what possessed me to do this, but like I would save all of like the Teen Vogue magazines and like the Seventeen magazines and I would just like collect them like like a hoarder. And <laughs> <laughs> And um, uh, I don't know. It's just like I would I would line them all up and um, uh, I would measure like what the model was wearing, like what what fashion it was it, and also what season it was and the colors that they were using. I don't know. I was trying to like figure out what what patterns were going on. I don't know why I was doing yeah. that, but yeah, huh. or or, or yeah. you would take ads from things and, and snip them and put them in like a, these. Yeah. So I my thought, mom yeah. hoarded magazines. So like my mom collected these home magazines. I think back then it was called like Metropolitan Home or something. If that's the actual title, I'll be very impressed with myself. But basically she had boxes of these that she just kept in our basement. And I was like, I think I was like in the sixth grade, maybe. Yeah. Sixth grade middle school. And I was like going through these boxes and I was like, oh, magazines. And I think I was going through them. So I was looking for old magazines to like collage with just like randomly. And then I started seeing these like Absolute Vodka ads. And back then in like the 90s, Absolute Vodka had this like incredibly creative, iconic campaign where I don't know if you've seen these, but um, the ad, the print ad was essentially like 
a bottle, a shape of a bottle, but each ad was a different permutation or interpretation of that bottle in like a different environment. And they were just so creative and there were hundreds of them and they were all different and they all existed. I guess they had a big media buy in Metropolitan Home Magazine, but I went through hundreds of these magazines and just tore out all of these ads. And my mom soon realized I was doing it. She's like, you're really like, I don't think you're like here for the ads, so I'm sure. It's <laughs> but I saw the pattern of like these ads just showing up in different ways. And I was like, wait, there's also got milk ads. And these are super different and creative too. And I like realized there was this world of creativity. And then when I realized it was like someone's job to do this work, I was like, I want to do that. And I was just fixated on making stuff like that one day from then on. And how how old were you at that magazine phase? I was 11. 11. Wow. Yeah. The... Growing up, I had uh, this closet door. It was the kind that they they slid behind each other. And mm-hmm. um, it was kind of ridiculous in the mornings when I would get ready for school. And I just had all of these, like, random clippings and, and just random things that I would take out of magazines and stuff mm-hmm. like that and put it on the two doors. And so opening the doors was just a nightmare because it was just <laughs> so cluttered and, like, yeah. inefficient. But yeah, yeah I, there's something about that age. I, that was that was between like ten and fifteen for me. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah. 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 The inquisitive, like collection of things we find in the world. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, I wanted to ask, uh, what was it like growing up where you're from? Yeah. So I grew up um, in a few different places. So I was born in New York, in Manhattan. And my mom was a stay-at-home mom. My dad worked. And his job kind of like took us to different cities um, as I was growing up. And so we spent some time in New Jersey, spent some time in Georgia. And then ultimately, when I was like in the fourth grade, we moved up to back to New York to Long Island, where I spent fourth grade up until um, senior year of high school. So I spent the majority Mm -hmm. of my growing up years in New York on Long Island. Um, And it was middle-class neighborhood. Um, I had a pretty, you know, delightful upbringing, wonderful parents, a younger sister. Um, I felt very lucky and like privileged to grow up in that, you know, environment and, and home. And my parents were always very supportive of, you know, and they recognized at a young age that I had this like creative, desire like passion um they were very supportive and like helping foster that for me which was really cool what uh what form did that take with your parents uh fostering that for you yeah it took so I was stronger I was strong in arts I was strong in you know reading English terrible at math like terrible (laughs) And so one of the forms that took was like, as I got into high school, my parents were like, okay, she's really great in these things. Let's support her here. Not as big of a deal. She's terrible at math because <laughs> she's going to be an artist or designer. Like who needs math? You actually need math. <laughs> Not as much, <laughs> but we'll get to that maybe later. Um, but they were really great in recognizing what my strengths were and like helping me lean into them versus like getting me a million tutors for the things I wasn't 
really good at. Um, and then as I got into high school um, and, you know, college became part of the conversation, my parents were proactive in helping me kind of like understand a little bit more about what it took to get into the certain types of schools I wanted to apply to and what types of career options were even available for me as like a creative person, you know? Um, so they were very involved in, um, you know, really my entire life and helping me foster this creative skill, but also like when it came time to figuring out what I wanted to be when I grew up, they were also very involved in helping me just like understand what all of the options looked like. Is that that experience of having that support from them at that early age is that different looking back on it now after becoming a parent yourself mm. is it different um, I guess if, yeah. yeah do you I guess um is it uh you start looking at that less as as a kid and now as like a like also a parent yeah it's I do think about it a lot it's funny you ask it, especially since um, my older daughter, who's almost 10, reminds me a lot of me as a kid. Highly creative, really not great at math. <laughs> <laughs> also, like, isn't a big fan of homework. I wasn't either. Um, <laughs> and she, but the fact that she's showing interest in a lot of creative things, similar to, you know, how I was as a child. Mm -hmm. And I think because my parents, you know, didn't force me to do the things that I wasn't great at. Not that I'm like, all right, Sophie, like you never have to do any more math in your life. Like I'm definitely mm -hmm. not like in the parent teacher conferences, they'll be like, her math scores aren't as high as like some of her other scores. And like, I'm not super worried about it. And I think because mm -hmm. I've had that example of my own parents showing up in the way they did, it was like a nice, um, a nice learning for me as a parent myself to not be freaked out that she's not doing great in one subject when she's like excelling in other areas and showing interests and mo most importantly honestly like having fun in other areas so for mm -hmm. me as a parent it's less about like how well is she doing in school in these subjects and more about like is she interested in having fun doing certain things because at the end of the day especially if you're going to choose a career um it's important to kind of identify not only where your strengths are, but what you enjoy doing. And can you see yourself doing that over and over and over again for decades consistently, you know? Do you, do you see yourself as um, lucky that your parents, I'm assuming, didn't kind of like pick a career for you or give you like three options? So lucky and blessed yeah. and thankful and all the things. Yeah, I definitely, because I hear of friends where, you know, whose parents were like, I'm a doctor, you will be a doctor. There was no other option for you. And then mm -hmm. actually, I just recently spoke to someone that I'm mentoring and she was telling me her story that, you know, her parents were doctors, they expected her to go to med school. And as she was going through college, she understood that she had this like love and passion for creative and design and that she was good at it. And she decided not to go to med school and pursue a career in design. And that was like a really hard mm. conversation she had to have with her parents. And as she was telling me this, I was like, I'm so lucky that I never had to be in that situation. Because there, uh, uh, there are people yeah, that yeah. are, and that's hard, you know, I can't imagine how hard that must be. 
and also I feel like um growing up in that environment sometimes you might just not even know what else is out there you're like because I I've I've met people where they go um uh I didn't even know that there were other careers like uh, yeah. one 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 of my friends he said yeah I I thought that there were four careers like doctor lawyer engineer and the guy who makes um like falafel <laughs> that's amazing he's like I a knew very that important was, one yeah he's like i knew that was his job so i knew that that was a career but i genuinely could not think outside of school and those things that my parents wanted for me which were very well intentioned but totally. not what he wanted to do for himself yeah, yeah totally and i imagine like yeah and and many parts of the country and even the world like I'm sure many people go through their younger life thinking there's only a finite amount of options you know especially Mm -hmm. in countries that aren't as um you know progressive as the U.S. yeah yeah I I don't know sometimes I I I look back on on uh like my yeah my childhood and, and I remember um wanting to do something creative and I think that uh maybe uh I had a little bit more flexibility because I was a girl um because I feel like uh sometimes between girls and boys growing up um like girls are a little bit more encouraged to go do creative things um Mm. and so uh maybe that's just the environment that I grew up in um but yeah I don't know I I got a lot of encouragement to take painting classes and drawing classes and computer art yeah. classes and um I don't know I, I think I was really lucky that my my parents one like had the interest in in helping me do that but also like had the means to say okay yeah like I don't know one of our parents one of your parents works like stays at home with you and we'll take yeah. you to our class after school yeah it's totally. a gift yeah it is it truly is um did you did you like school growing up did I like school? That is such a complicated question. No, it I did for the most part. Yeah. I liked I liked learning. Mm-hmm. Um, there are definitely some subjects that I gravitated to more than others. Um, when I was in high school, I took AP Psychology, and I was very into that. Really, Just like learning how the mind works, and I found myself like analyzing everyone in my family (laughs) the more I learned about like all of the psychological you know disorders I was like do I have that does my my sister have that and so and then just like I don't know psychology especially like and just understanding how people show up and interact with each other in the world through that lens was really interesting to me too um so yeah generally I did really like school I loved college I think that's when I like really like learned to come into my own like high school middle school um like I said I was an introvert I was really shy I was like the kind of kid that like observed everything around me to like the detail and I was definitely more of an observer than I was like a participator and Mm. in college um I felt like I really like found my people that I could like relate to more in college. I was studying something I was passionate about. Um, and I was also just becoming an adult and like learning more about myself as an adult and becoming more confident. 
what was that first year like for you in college? It was awesome. Um, it was many things. It was obviously the first year. So I, I went to college away from home and it was the first year living away from my parents. So it meant like freedom and, um, but also like balancing that freedom with like responsibility. Right. Mm -hmm. So I remember feeling this like overwhelming tension of that. Like I'm free. I can literally do whatever I want with no one telling me what to do. But I also am here because I'm studying something Mm -hmm. and I have to go to and you know so it was that like juxtaposition of being a free young adult in the world but also having responsibilities um and yeah I I remember also I think it was the first time that freshman year of college I ever felt imposter syndrome really and I'd never felt that feeling before. And I remember there was this one moment freshman year in design studio, one of the first projects that we did. Um, and where I went to school, like the freshman design studio was about 50 students um, that were studying design. And in that first year, the first semester was spent around like communication design. The second semester was spent around industrial design. And then at the end of the year, um, folks would choose their focus area for the rest of the, the the three years. So during the communication design semester, the first project was doing some sort of like collage that explored like balancing visual elements on a grid with like paper cutouts. And the teacher gave us very specific instructions on on how to mount the composition onto foam core. And she told us to mount it optically centered not like exactly centered onto the foam core thing and I didn't follow directions and I mounted it like precisely centered and when I went to put my composition up on the wall for critique she immediately went to mine ripped it up and was like this person didn't follow instructions and like let it fall to pieces on the ground I was like oh my god like what am I doing here I'm not good enough like and I that was like a harsh like thing for her to do to a freshman um one of their first projects but she ended up becoming one of my favorite professors there over time and but like after that first moment after she used me as like an example of what not to do or like not following instructions that was like really the first time I felt imposter syndrome and I was like I got lucky getting got getting into this school. Like everyone here's better than me. Like, what am I doing? I have to keep faking it here. Like, maybe I should follow instructions next time. <laughs> but mm-hmm. it was crazy to think that, you know, that was really the first time I felt it. And I still feel it and, you know, in my current role now. And it's a feeling that hasn't gone away for me. But I think as I've gotten more experienced, I've learned to use it as um information and input to help me grow versus something that um I allow myself to something that I allow to put me down or like shame myself with if that makes sense what are like positive things that you do to take that that kind of icky feeling and do something productive with it 
Yeah. So I try and see it as like an input of information. So if I, you know, feel a certain way about something, I feel imposter syndrome. Let's say I'm like, I, I can't even think of an example. Um, if I'm comparing myself to another leader or another person, I'll try and pause and really like pay attention to why I'm thinking that way. And if there's anything in that feeling or observation that might hint to, oh, maybe I feel this way because I think they're a stronger presenter than I am. Is there anything that I can do to improve my presentation skills, for example? Mm. Instead of being like, I'm a terrible presenter. I'm never going to present again or I'll never be as good as this person. Like shame myself into a spiral. Mm. I try and like reframe the narrative and think like, I'm clearly feeling this way for a reason. Is there like a growth opportunity here for me? Um, Because otherwise the opposite is just like unhelpful and, you know, who wants to get down on themselves like that? But if you can use this information to help yourself improve then that's a more positive approach. I think I have an internal voice that's similar, but it says something else. It says um, more like this person that has given me this compliment um they think that I am something that I am not and Mm. when am I going to have to break it to them that I'm not as interesting or special or talented as they're complimenting me especially especially if they don't really have a lot of input and they have all of this like faith in me or they're being very kind or saying you're going to do great and I think you don't have enough information to make that decision so this isn't real (laughs) (laughs) I, that's a familiar one too. Um, but also with that one, they have enough information to say it or believe it. Even if they don't have all of the context, there's enough there that gives them the confidence to say that, right? Maybe, uh, maybe they're making a guess and I'm giving them enough information to make a guess potentially. Maybe, or maybe not. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, but I think that the way that you process it is really healthy. Um uh to to think of it as information cuz uh, sometimes I I uh when I feel overwhelmed about something, I sometimes I will just literally take a step back and go, "Okay, I feel overwhelmed. Okay, good to know. Um uh what do we do from here? I'm not just going to sit yeah. here and 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 stay with it. Like what, are there totally. small things that I can do that can slowly undo this like yeah yarn uh yeah (laughs) that's a really productive and healthy approach too i i remember those uh critiques in uh so i i went to design school i went to um uh i studied graphic design and um yeah the, the first year was all foundations like we didn't touch a computer for the first year and just oh my god the stress of putting something up on a wall and then yeah. everybody's talking about it and and I don't know sometimes you're getting like ripped to shreds and yeah. so I feel like after that you really have like no ego there's like nothing left that's true it's <laughs> yeah and in a way it's like as painful and like difficult as those early moments were it's like it really helps build that resilience that you know we find ourselves needing much later on in our career and we might have um, not known it at the time but at least in hindsight that's 
my takeaway. Or or maybe it's the ability to to see this thing as like not connected to your identity. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's not an attack on you as a person. Yeah, yeah. Because it's it's a separate thing and and both you and the person who's critiquing you, you both have the same goal as you want that thing to succeed. Yep. Exactly. And so once you can change that perspective, I feel like things can go a lot smoother. Yeah, a hundred percent. Uh, an interesting point in somebody's life that I like to talk about or like I like to ask about is um uh that that six months um before you you went away to college um that mm-hmm. six month period you're like figuring out where you're going to go maybe you're getting acceptances your everything feels real because then you accept somewhere what yeah. was that six month period like for you oh my gosh I haven't thought about that period of life in a long time if ever so thank you for asking that it's bringing <laughs> back memories it's bringing back like vivid memories of like the old school computer that my parents had and I remember like because I applied early and there was like a really terribly designed online portal that I was like refreshing every single day for like months to see if really? I did and apparently they told us that like if you got accepted you'll get both this like very thick packet in the mail but then you can also find out via this portal. So I was like checking the mail obsessively every day. I was refreshing this page on the portal every day. And um, for some reason in my head, I was like, I'm going to find out via this portal before like anything comes in the mail. Mm. And then I think I like didn't obsessively check for like a week because whatever, there was like school or activities or whatever. And I came home and there was this extra thick, package from the school that I applied early to and I remember the feeling of like seeing it like my parents like the front door of our house there was like a a screen door and then like the actual door behind it and like the male the male person would like leave the mail wedged in between the doors and I was like walking home from school because we lived close to the school I remember seeing this envelope <laughs> wedged in between the doors from down the street and I was like is that it and I like <laughs> <laughs> I'm like oh my gosh and I'm like and I like tore it open like an animal and I remember that feeling of just like disbelief being like I and yeah. like just running around my house like no one was home and of course there was like no smartphones back then and I just like was like in this moment alone in my parents house like reveling in this you know success with no one to like celebrate it with until people got home which I don't even remember how long that was but it was just an exhilarating feeling and uh also I was like did they make a mistake is this my like really? did they my name like yeah even th- maybe that was my first imposter syndrome moment yeah. but um yeah I mean it was an amazing feeling and I I might have thought that for like a moment but then it, I didn't dwell on it and yeah, it was more like happiness, excitement, joy, and then I didn't have to worry about because I applied early. I found out early, and I was able to just like not coast through the rest of senior year, but kind of coast. Yeah, there there <laughs> wasn't this this big pressure on you right. that you had right. to keep on proving yourself. Totally. Yeah. yeah, it was a it was a very big um, relief, and also just like the expectation of like 
mentally knowing where you're going to be the next year like the sooner I knew that I was able to kind of like prepare myself mentally for it sooner yeah which was a good feeling I remember um just I don't know maybe like the last three years of high school I was just so focused on like getting into school and getting accepted like I don't I didn't realize that some people in other countries and other cultures they don't have this like um American college acceptance culture mm-hmm. where it's it's so much like this is going to determine your future yeah. which in, in reality now is not exactly always the case but yeah. um yeah like this is going to determine your future um like you have to write all of these essays you have to take the SAT like all of these different times yeah. and um I don't know I remember when I picked someplace um it just so much of that weight was just off of me yeah 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 it was definitely that feeling of relief and you know really probably the first like somewhat adult milestone career-wise really where you know probably a similar feeling to like getting hired at a company right Mm -hmm. um it's like the first kind of pivotal moment in your in a professional career where you know that big decision happens and then um uh i don't know and then towards the end i got a little bit of senioritis and i was like i just want <laughs> oh, <yeah>. to go <laughs> totally senioritis yeah. yeah yeah and so um a- another one moment that i, I like asking people about mm-hmm. cuz you you might remember you might not but um uh the night before you went away to school um what was that like to you? Because I vividly remember mine. I don't think I remember, actually. Yeah? I think I remember the first night mm-hmm. being at school. Yeah? And, like, my parents coming and, like, helping me move into the dorm and stuff. But I don't think I remember the night before leaving. I mm-hmm. wish I did. That's a good question. I, I remember sitting in bed and, and thinking, um, uh, at this time, tomorrow... I'm going to be in a different place. Um, I've I've lived in this house like pretty much my whole conscious life. Um, And I I, I don't know. I'm I'm so used to everything the way that it is. But literally this time tomorrow, I'm going to be in a totally different life in a totally different city. Yeah. It's a wild feeling, huh? What was that? What was that night like for you? Like the first night at school? Like what was it? um... I remember like leading up to my parents leaving I was like oh I just wish they'd leave already but then when they were like getting (laughs) ready then when they were getting ready to leave I was like like inside I was like don't go like what am I gonna do without you you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. I'm so used to having parents that care for me and like you know living under their roof and I remember just feeling this yearning for them like to stay close you know Mm -hmm. and so it's definitely a little it was scary for sure and once yeah. they left, I was like, I'm free. Yay, but also scary. <laughs> yeah, because like now I have a totally different type of school. To- I have to like feed myself. Yeah. Um, I have to, uh, I don't know, manage to get two classes in different buildings. It's not all in the same place. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot. Yeah, totally. All new friends, all lot. new activities. Yep, yep. Yeah. 
so <laughs> I don't know. So, so, um, I, I did want to ask, like, uh, while you're in school, um, did, did you change, uh, like interests in what you thought you were going to do after school? No. Yeah. So I, I went into school, you know, selecting like communication design as my major ultimately mm-hmm. after that first design year. Um, and I really wanted to work in advertising. Like ever since those absolute vodka days, I was like, I'm yeah. going to be an art director. I'm going to work in advertising. I'm going to make ads. I didn't go to advertising school, but I'm glad I got that foundation of like design fundamentals um, that, you know, helped set me up on a career path that allowed me to explore a bunch of different design and creative avenues, including, you know, a stint in advertising. So Mm -hmm. I was pretty steadfast in my focus areas in college. Mm -hmm. The, the you, um, when you first started school versus the you when you graduated, do you think that those were two different dresses? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Very similar in many ways, but also very different, more mature, you know, Mm -hmm. um, four years, not living at home with my parents, definitely a more mature, more confident, um, Jess than when I first started college. Yeah. That's good. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yeah. (laughs) I don't, I think I was, when I graduated, um, I think I was like way more, uh, nervous just because I didn't know what was next. I think that was like a big thing. Yeah. That's a, that makes sense. I think I definitely was too. I think the the parallels like for me were like, at least in high school, when I was thinking of applying to college was like putting in a lot of like effort and hard work and like, gr- like grit towards mm-hmm doing everything I possibly could to get into like the school that I wanted to go to. And then I think that the similarity in college was when it was time to like find a job doing that same amount of like, you know, reaching out to like all the people, the companies, even if it doesn't mean getting a job, but like having conversations, putting myself out there. Um, And I didn't get a full-time job out of college, but I did get a freelance job at an advertising agency mm-hmm. and that was kind of like my way into eventually getting hired full-time there but I remember I had just found out like a couple weeks before graduation college graduation that I got this freelance job that would start like the beginning of June um and it was such a relief like similar to the relief of when I found out I got into college right yeah and so there's like a similar pattern of like working really hard getting the thing you're working hard for brief moment of relief before you like start the thing you were working really hard to get. And then it's like a rinse and repeat throughout your life and career. <laughs> Isn't that kind of crazy though, that um so often um, I feel like some things are like a little anticlimactic at times where you, you enjoy it for a second and then all of a sudden the stress starts of like, okay, well, now that I've achieved this thing, now I have to actually have to perform in this thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely interesting to think about. And it really, I think it's it's a good reminder to like be present in the things that you're accomplishing and celebrating because they're so fleeting. And mm-hmm. 
it's also a reminder to like celebrate more things too, even really small things that you might not even think to celebrate. Um, Cause I think there's even like throughout the day, there are so many like wins that happen that we tend to just like let pass by. Mm. Um, so you bringing that up is a good reminder. To be, it, it just, yeah, I guess that's a good reminder of like how, um, uh, so many people can, I feel like they can go even years without like being present. They're always focused on the next thing. They're always like, go, go, go. Not yeah. all the time off. Yeah. It's a common and high achievers. Yeah. I wonder where that comes from in people. I don't know. An insatiable desire for like more accomplishment, more, more. Yeah. <laughs> I think that an example of something similar to that is um, uh, I remember when I was quite young I kind of realized that I didn't think I'd ever want to live in a like one of those huge oversized homes that are on like uh, HGTV or things like that like they were beautiful especially those um, I don't know those those remodeling shows um, and everything like I yeah I would watch those all the time growing up but like (laughs) I had a, a friend who lived in like a very oversized home and I think that just going over to his house over the years I got so used to it um like I knew every single room in the on the property I knew like where everything was and for some reason it made the whole home seem smaller and then going to his home and then going to a home of any other size it just felt like the same and so yeah. when I when I was probably around fifteen, that's when I I thought um, I don't I don't think I I uh, really need this. Or I don't think this is something that is really going to do much for me. And yeah. so when when you talk about like um, people wanting to achieve and then they don't really feel that thing, um, I don't know. It just it just reminded me of that story from growing up. Does that yeah. make sense and why why I'm talking yeah, about I that? So. Yeah, I think so. I think so, yeah. Yeah. It's good that you, re- you realize that for yourself. I think a lot of people, especially folks who are super ambitious, just go through the motions of, you know, achieving more and wanting more without really fully knowing why. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting to think about. Uh, my friend um, Matt told me one time that... Uh, uh, there's this thing called the the arrival fallacy. Have you heard of that? Tell me more. It's, it sounds familiar. So it's like um like you're looking forward to something so much um that when you get there it's not as like fantastic and mm-hmm. magic as you were expecting it to be. And some people um some people feel that when they go to Paris actually, and then they realize that it's just also a city with real yeah. people. And yeah. <laughs> like the, if they see like trash on the street, they have like an emotional breakdown because they're like, this is not Madeline. <laughs> like, like, I don't know. I feel like that's interesting. Or, or yeah. like people that if they have this party that they've been planning for such a long time and then like something goes wrong or um, I don't know, somebody drops something, the party doesn't seem yeah. as special anymore. It's just it's an interesting. Exactly. Yeah. So like, I don't know, like putting so much on maybe getting a job like I'll be so much happier I'll feel mm-hmm. more secure I'll be less stressed like all of a sudden you have this job and 
you, yeah. you feel stressed because of the responsibilities yeah. of the job and because you think that um it'll solve all your problems you can get yeah. so sad thinking that it's not what you expected it to be it's true it's interesting the stories we tell ourselves and the expectations that are like built into those stories even it's something as simple as hearing a bunch of like reviews around a movie and then you're like I'm so excited to see this movie I've heard such amazing things about it and then you get there and you're like this was terrible (laughs) your expectations were so high versus like hearing nothing about the movie you don't even watch a trailer and you're like, whatever, I'm just going to watch this because I can't figure out what else to watch. And then you're like, that was the, literally the best thing I've ever seen. <laughs> but there's no base. Like, I'm like, And then you think like, was that really good? Or is it because I knew nothing about it? I had a zero, like blank canvas expectations on what to think. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's framing and expectation setting that I think influence how we perceive outcomes as humans sometimes. Mm-hmm. I... I think sometimes, though, uh, um, I've gotten to the point where I can look forward to something and then enjoy it in whatever form it comes in. Yeah. So I, I think that maybe it's just like not feeling like I have to control the outcome or if I, I'm really excited for to um, have a party or something like that, I'm not going to um, uh, get too worked up over, oh, did I get enough time with this person? Did I do yeah. that? Like, did yeah. we get to talk about this? Just like it happened and that's awesome. Yeah. And that's yeah. all I really wanted. Yeah. That's great. That's a great outlook too. Yeah. And so what what was that like first um experience like for you uh post college, like starting this this, I don't know, new life for yourself and, and becoming independent yeah. and everything. So that freelance job that I took at the advertising agency, I remember just like wanting to do everything right, you know, mm-hmm. and I just worked so hard, even like long hours, to like try and prove myself. And I remember being asked to do certain things that like I didn't necessarily know how to do. Like, I think it was like designing like a 3D space um, for like a, a branded event or something like that. And I was like, well, I'm not going to learn a 3D tool overnight because it's literally impossible. So I just like figured out how to make the space as realistic as possible and like Photoshop and Illustrator and like made sure mm-hmm. I perfected that really well. Just put so much time into making sure everything that I did there was like above and beyond. Um, and so, yeah, I like put everything into it. And I was just so excited to have a job that like paid me money in a field that like I was excited about and passionate about that I studied. So it was like overwhelming, but like like, in all the best ways. And I was really lucky to have just like an amazing, one of the best managers I think I've ever had in my career was that first job, Tom. Really? He's still someone I keep in touch with and check in with. And I feel very like fortunate and like blessed that, you know, my first job as a professional creative person I, that I had such a wonderful manager. Cause I think back to like, what if my first manager was just awful? Like would I have been put off by, you know, doing this as a career or like what, what would have happened in that scenario? It could have changed the course for like my entire career. I think. Could you tell me about Tom? Yeah, he was, is, uh was at the time when he was my manager just like very laid back he he knew this was my first job he was very like patient with me um and 
it turned into like a wonderful friendship too I became close mm. with like his wife and then eventually they had a son and he was like my you know confidant at this place and he eventually hired me full-time and um he was just like a really amazing mentor and like teacher and especially in my first job like really showed me all of the ins and outs and politics of a working environment too mm -hmm. and was able to like call them out spot them break them down for me in like a really just like effortlessly effortless way um because that's a real thing you know in a job like the office dynamics the politics like why is this person acting a certain way with this person oh there's a backstory there and mm. he's just able to give me all the context and information that painted this like really informative picture of where we worked and who the people were and why we were doing the work we were doing and that I assume like made you feel like you had more context and you you could confidently make certain decisions or approach people in a way that would help you do your job better totally a yeah thousand yeah I had a, a a moment like that with uh with my boss um my first boss out of an internship in college his name was Bob uh, is Bob um and uh I remember one time this this principal uh f from the firm said okay well um, I like this option, but we don't have to do it. Um, I want this option and this option. And the one that he said, we don't have to do that. I didn't think that that was the best option. So because he said, you don't have to do that, I didn't do it. And then Bob came up to me and said, if they ever say anything, you create it so that at least they can see it and yeah. you can like present the other ones that you think are better but you, yeah if if he's if he brings it up you have to do it like little yeah. things like that like yeah. understanding what phrases meant how like respect happened with people totally. who are your client yeah it was he was super valuable that's amazing yeah and you don't learn those things in school per se yeah maybe there's some like similar themes that you could possibly pick up on that could be similar but there's so much that we tend to learn in those first few jobs after college that really stay with us our entire career, I think. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you look back on now as somebody who um, like manages people that when you look back on how he, he managed you and he uh, mentored you, that you, is there anything that you think about with this different perspective? Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think, what Tom was able to do really well as a manager was that he balanced kindness and empathy with like clear direction. And so he mm. never sacrificed one for the other. Like if I was doing something work-wise or like execution-wise that he thought could be improved, like he wouldn't not give the feedback and fear of not being kind. So he was able mm. to balance um, empathy, candor with like very clear direction is really hard to do and um something that like when I first became a manager you know struggled with so I'm like I don't want people to hate me how do I deliver this feedback that doesn't make me sound like a monster you know mm. and so it's a very delicate balancing act of delivering candor with care especially with creative people and when you're giving feedback on their work right because you mm -hmm. also don't want to come from a place of 
too much subjectivity um, and the art of giving feedback is hard enough as it is. So yeah. yeah, I think back to that a lot. And I've also had other managers throughout my career that were very different from Tom and mm-hmm. that, you know, didn't practice candor with care. They were very <laughs> execution focused and you know, that was a learning experience too. And so there's just different management styles. And I think after having experienced a lot of different managers in my career, I think that was a good way for me to kind of decide what kind of manager I wanted to be um, mm-hmm. based on looking back and all the different ways I was treated. And it's like, how do I want to show up for my people that's like different or the same? Mm-hmm. I think that like some people, they have their their career um, and they work for maybe like in previous generations, they work for maybe two companies max their whole career or maybe even one company mm-hmm. max. Yeah. And so that is such a different life experience than what you are experiencing and what I'm in the beginning of experiencing. Yeah. Um because I've already um had three at least three different experiences. Um and I don't know, I feel like it really informs me on the different ways that people work, like the different yeah. perspectives and I think that I prefer uh having a bunch of different experiences a bunch of different jobs throughout my career yeah for sure I can't even count like I can't even tell you off the top of my head how many companies I've worked at now it's a lot (laughs) (laughs) but um yeah I agree I think the different experiences the different types of company cultures you can experience working dynamics projects product types that you're working on Mm. it's all it all just like helps inform so many different things it'll help propel you into your career moving forward and set you up for success I think how do you think um uh Bob would have described you um at that age to somebody that didn't know you or especially if you weren't in the room my first manager yeah Um, Oh, I said, I said, Bob, I meant Tom. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Bob was mine. (laughs) Um, Probably like eager, um, hardworking. I was probably really naive. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Um, Yeah, like eager, hardworking, um, nice. I think at that age, like early on, and even like, probably still today I cared a lot about what people thought about me and how I showed Mm -hmm. up you know um and yeah I don't know eager to learn and grow Mm -hmm. Hmm. so sometimes I like um especially if I'm interviewing somewhere um I love asking the people that are interviewing me um between you being hired at this company and uh where you are now um like what did you learn what what mm-hmm. uh is surprising and it's funny because people usually don't expect you to ask them questions about yeah. their career and yeah. things like that <laughs> um, so it always catches people off guard and I think that it that that people like when I ask them that um because I think that the answers are really interesting but um uh, I guess for you like in in the beginning of your career at that freelancing role um mm-hmm. compared to uh, where you are now 
um, if you could sit down and have a conversation with that version of you, almost as if like she was a separate person. Um, Is there anything that you would say? You wouldn't be changing anything, but like, what would that conversation be like if you had coffee together? That's such a good question. We had coffee together. I don't know. I'd want to ask her where she sees herself in like 15 years and see if it's like where I'm at now. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think she would say? Um, I want to be this big shot creative director and ad agency and something silly sounding like that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think this is one that's having me think. Take your time. Yeah. Yeah, I think if I were to ask her about hopes for the future, I think she would say something back then that I would still say now is just like a hunger to make really great work and Mm -hmm. to like have an impact on the work from like a creative standpoint and to be able to like think differently and just be able to have those types of opportunities. I think back then like everything for me in those early days revolved around work. There was no work-life balance. Like it was everything I consumed myself with. I wanted to be the best at it. I wanted to have every chance to like do incredible work. And so like, I Mm -hmm. really like consumed by that obsession. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And looking back, I think if I were to change anything, especially like now I have kids and Mm -hmm it's not as easy for me to like go and explore the world or like travel and looking back I'm like I wish I could have been less not I mean this is gonna sound great this feels crazy to say out loud but if I were to take more of like a balanced approach to like being as obsessive with work as I was about life and exploring like the world around me that's Mm. probably something I would consider doing differently it's like the work will come it'll always be there like my younger self wasn't tied down tied down sounds terrible and not to mean that my kids are tying me down but I was more free to do basically whatever I wanted back then and so that would be one thing that I would consider doing differently I think Mm -hmm. yeah I I don't know I, I remember um my my self-worth for a very long time was very much tied to grades and it was very much tied to um uh some sort of like metric of whether that that was like how much I was making or um uh my GPA or something like that and that that sounds like I probably would have been in a similar boat to that version of you at that time yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, I, uh, it, it's oh, hard because like um I feel like to me like when I when I didn't have that um uh that security and who I was as a person um having something that could uh measure it which would be like I don't know projects that we would work on or something that I could accomplish that um would give me that thing to measure instead of just um feeling confident that like hey like you're okay first and then on addition to that you can do all these great things but like 
some sort of foundation. I just, um, I didn't have that for a very long time. Yeah, it's a hard thing to like realize, like I, it's a hard thing to identify as a young person too. Like when you have mm-hmm. it or when you don't, I think. So those yeah. metrics, at least early on, and especially as like creative people just starting out in their careers are like super important, right? Mm-hmm. That's yeah, like some um yeah, it's it's just funny because um it's it feels more uh tangible. Meanwhile, yeah. like uh confidence yeah. isn't exactly something that's tangible. <laughs> it's hard to um uh point to something and say, hey, yeah. you know, like this is my thing. Like this is I can I can prove myself with this. It's 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 harder like that. It is. I think as creatives, we have an advantage of like the tangible thing becoming the work we create too. Mm-hmm. And having that as like an example of like, I designed this thing and it did it performed in this way, and here's here it is, and it's all its glory. And here's a case study of it. And now we can like put that in our portfolio and like move on to the next thing. So that's like one metric too. That's a really important one for designers. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in other careers that might not have that sort of like tangible thing to point to, I can imagine that being more difficult for people not in our field. Yeah. I, I remember talking to somebody who was saying that like um, she was making all these animations and um she said that having these animations and putting them out on youtube or putting them out uh into the world um being able to return to stuff that she had done in the past was this like confidence booster like hey you know i i did that and it's still like out there and um Mm -hmm. even if i'm feeling kind of icky or something like that if i'm working through something that's hard right now i have this thing that i accomplished and I feel yeah. really good about it. So yeah, it's it, yeah, it's like a tangible yet not tangible. Totally. And then over time, I don't know if you've done this recently, but a couple of weeks ago, so like Google Gmail is a blessing and a curse because I've had my personal Gmail account since my senior year of college. And it's basically a time really? capsule of like relationships and jobs and job applications. Basically, like I've not deleted mm-hmm. anything. And so I went back because I had PDF portfolios from like my senior year of college and like past emails from like 2006 and I was just going through this like little like timeline expedition for funsies to like look at my past works I hadn't done it in a while and I was like oh my god this thing was really terrible (laughs) but it like went out into the world and was used for like a very specific (laughs) use case if I'm ever feeling like bad about something I'm like past me like almost 20 years ago like made this thing that someone thought was good but now I'm looking at it and I was like this is so bad <laughs> so being able to like look back on work that we've done in the past and like recognizing our progress and improvement is like a pretty cool thing over time you know yeah what when you to do that because it's when, fun and yeah <laughs> when you've improved so much from that point um i feel like uh i know there are probably some points where you're like you know what like this thing that i made is really good like i i stretched to be able to do this and like i worked really hard on it yeah and then you grow so much in in a period of time that you look back and you're like yeah uh i would not want to show this to anyone can we please take it off the internet 
<laughs> totally. On the flip side too, there were there was some work in there, like college projects, where I'm just like, I should be doing more of that stuff. Like I took more risks back then. You know what I mean? Really? There was this one project I minored in photography, and I had some wild ideas back in college sometimes. <laughs> and that's like part of the risk taking I'm talking about. But I did this project my senior year. I'm prefacing this with like, I promise I was not like a crazy, maybe I was a crazy person. Who knows? <laughs> I still am. But in college, I did a party crashing series where I <laughs> stumbled upon this website called blacktypepittsburgh.com. I'm in school in Pittsburgh. And I found all of these like publicly listed, like private black tie events. I'm like, why would you list these publicly? I don't know. And I went, I showed up in like all black with like a fancy looking camera. And I told them I was with the college newspaper and they like let me write in. And like I photographed a debutante ball, a debutante wow. ball, a American Heart Association um, gala, a Pittsburgh Penguins party. And then I like took all the photographs and I compiled like a, a hard found book with them. And that was in my portfolio senior year. And I was as I was going through this whole expedition a few weeks ago, I was like, I need to take more risks like this again. Like this was crazy. <laughs> like you were not to be safe now. You were not part of the newspaper. No, 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 no. No, you just made that up. <laughs> I totally just made it up. And they're like, You look like an unassuming young woman. Like, what kind of trouble are you gonna cause in there? And then like let me write in. So that's incredible. Yeah. So it's like, I, there's a lot of terrible design work in there, but then there was stuff like that where I was like, how can I be taking more risks like that? And like showing up in like wild ways that prove something. I don't know what I was trying to prove, but it was almost like a social experiment that resulted in like cool photographs. What? I, wait, I just have to like, <laughs> <laughs> so many questions. I'm sure. <laughs> Personally, like, where did that idea come from? I don't know. I think, like, and part of why I actually, like, loved working in advertising, it's, like, I always had this appetite to, like, do things differently or, like, not, like, cause a scene or, like, stir the pot, but maybe, like, a mm -hmm. little bit. Like, how how can you, like, break through the noise and just, like, show up in a creative way that's like completely different and like thought-provoking and like risk-taking mm -hmm. and so I had an appetite for that um and I think how it came up was like I was taking the photography class and we got to come up with our own project ideas and the thought of like creating an experience out of the act of taking pictures of that experience was what I wanted to try and like capture mm -hmm. and having it feel risky or um, uns not unsafe, but like, you know, challenging and not the norm was like, exciting to me. And I felt like the photographs would be that much more exciting in their like final form if they reflected this like crazy experience and had that story to tell with them. And also you might get turned down. Right, exactly. They might it's just like, say no. Right. Yeah. I mean, I could get arrested, right? But yeah. it's like all about the story and like whatever the outcome ended up being, it would be a reflection of 
you know, it'd be told through the lens, no pun intended, of those photographs. What was it like? Wait, so were they digital photographs or were they film? They were digital. digital. Okay. Did you meet anybody interesting from that? Or was it more like wallflower type activity? It was more like, I remember like, for the debutante one there was like a table of like young girls all dressed up and I was like I'm with the newspaper can I like take your picture and <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> I had so like I wish I had so I had like a physical hard drive like all my college work all the photos are on there and I like, can't resurrect it but in this pdf there's like a few examples of the book I'll have to share it with you so you can see yeah. um one of the images in that book in the pdf is from the American Heart Association gala and I was trying to like stealthily take a picture of some people at a table eating and the photo ended up being one of the men at the table looking up and it looks like he's catching me in the act like he knows exactly <laughs> what I'm doing <laughs> just the look on his face is like busted you know really? um so and then I like actually I, I took some really good photos of like the workers of the events like the servers and they were really friendly and interesting those were probably the people that I was most intrigued by because it's like they were kind of on the outskirts of these like elaborate events but they had their own stories to tell and like was trying to capture that in their expression too so I didn't really form like any like deep connections with people but I was trying to like capture what I thought was happening um in their expression and their interactions and trying to lean on that to tell the stories I think there's something so interesting about people watching like when you can really take the time and you can see how people interact also see how people act when they think nobody's watching mm-hmm. like yep. if you treat treat um servers poorly like little oh. things like that yeah 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 a lot of nuance there did you learn anything about like people and like did you was there anything interesting from going to these different events you were not supposed to be at (laughs) so like the the biggest learning for me the takeaway and this is one of the feelings I had when I was looking back at the work recently is like the art of risk taking like before you take the actual risk whether it's Mm -hmm. crashing a party or whatever it may be there's that fear of like what if something bad happens you know And you Mm -hmm. literally don't know if that can happen or not unless you like go and do the thing. And so the feeling of the act of going and doing the thing, taking the risk and kind of like freeing yourself of like literally anything can happen and I have to be okay with that. But Mm -hmm. I just need to take the risk and step into it. Otherwise, nothing will happen. So that was like a really big learning experience for me in a lot of ways because it was like this wild idea and I could potentially I mean getting arrested was probably like the worst case scenario and probably unlikely to happen under that was like someone saying no you can't go into the party you're not invited not terrible or being in the party and then someone realizing that like I shouldn't be there and who are you and you need to leave or we're gonna call it like whatever the situation may be but the act of the risk taking itself and going forward with it, committing to it, doing it. And then like, I remember the feelings of like leaving these parties being like, what did I just do? (laughs) Insane. And so 
I think it's like kind of crazy how folks a lot of times like we don't think we're capable of doing a lot and we're capable of doing so much more than we realize and the art of risk taking is like identifying the opportunities that might seem like insane sometimes but if you don't just do it you'll literally never know if you're capable of doing it or not and that was kind of like the learning in that experience is just leaning into the unknown going for it being okay with the worst happening nothing bad happens it was all fine and that it was just like so freeing realizing going through those motions you know um so that was the probably the last I can't think of another like super crazy thing I did like that since then which is sad and kind of makes me want to do more crazy shit (laughs) about it again (laughs) Um, I don't know did anybody ever turn you down I don't think so like this the I feel like confidence is just so key to just being able to do so much in life it's so true it's so true yeah and that was it I was like I'm gonna get into character like (laughs) you know it was this whole thing I was like I'm gonna say I'm with the newspaper and I got my camera and I can't remember if I like made a fake like badge or not it sounds like something I would have done. I honestly can't remember. It's something I might have done. Um, I don't remember if I went that far. <laughs> I wonder if, like, there was ever a conversation with between, like, those people at the events um, and, like, the actual newspaper. They're like, so, like, you're, when are the pictures coming out? I think that would be hilarious. Oh, no, wait. Actually, I did do something equally as crazy a few years later, but involving photographers sorry yeah just tell remember. me about it yeah it was um <laughs> okay I lived in Boulder Colorado okay and I always thought it was funny how especially then there was a lot of like hipsters that would dress a certain way where like they either looked like they could be hipsters or they could be homeless people so I started a <laughs> blog called hipster or homeless and I would like <laughs> stuff <laughs> I think it's still live wait let me see if I can find the link um, on Instagram no oh, Instagram oh, no, blog, blog it was on Tumblr it was a Tumblr blog please Hold send on. me this yeah. yeah oh here it is I found it okay oh I can't believe it's the beauty of the internet um, that was very quick by the way it was really quick <laughs> um so basically it was like photos of boulder and then la where i ended up moving after boulder of people some of them are friends most of them were people i would just like see in the streets and stop and some of them i'd be like oh i'm doing like a blog post and a publication a fashion thing whatever can i take your picture and um some of them would ask and i I remembered this because when you asked like one is one of the photos coming out it yeah. sparked the memory of like some people that I photographed for this being like, when are these coming out? And like the publication you're talking about um, to which I don't even remember what I answered, but some of these were actually shot with film. So I, wow. I used to collect like vintage film cameras. And um, when I started doing that in Boulder, I would photograph these with film. There's, I see the one where it's a, it's like a mannequin with a wig and uh, a fur yeah, coat. Yeah. And it says hipster, <laughs> homeless, or plastic. 
yeah. plastic in this case. When I started so this, when I started yeah. this, if you if you go back to like a bunch of pages, it started out as like a film project where they don't have captions, and then eventually, the agency, the ad agency I worked at, I started working on this with my copywriter partner, and then he started yeah. writing captions to them, which I thought made them funnier. Um, oh my good lord. There, I see him. Okay, so I'm going to describe this one photo. Okay. So it's a man for people who are listening. Uh, it's a man in a uh, like an Abercrombie cut off red shirt, and he like his hair is crazy. He's wearing like fisherman sunglasses. Mm-hmm. He has a tambourine in front of him and a fanny pack, and then it says, "And you thought Coachella lineup couldn't get any better?" And it's just yeah. this man vibing. Yes. <laughs> I think I don't know I feel it's like the um the the diversity of the human experience like some sometimes you just interact with some people and you're sometimes you look at them and genuinely think like how are you a real person like what what is your life like what who are you exactly and just like by walking down the street too like one of them I don't know if you got to this one but um the caption is hipster mary kate olsen wannabe or homeless tooth fairy yes yeah (laughs) oh my yeah this this is definitely going to be in the description so people can just click and go to that so that is hilarious to resurrect this after all these years now that i live in austin which has some good content to contribute to this i think yeah i i I believe that (laughs) Yeah, it's in Austin. It's uh, keep Austin weird. Mm-hmm. That's the phrase. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. That's quite funny. I can I can perpetuate that with this uh, the resurrection of this blog. <laughs> um, have you ever uh seen the the account um, uh, Humans of New York? Yeah. Yeah. Do you like it? I do. I like it a lot. It's a less strange version of this, but I love how it humani- literally humanizes um, the people in New York. And it's I love like the stories behind the faces of what make up the city. I always thought it was that that blog did or that publication did it really well. I think that humanizing people in the city is uh, an interesting thing because um, I remember being told that people who live in very dense areas where there's like a ton of traffic and it's a little overpopulated sometimes you can look at other people as kind of just like in the way or obstacles or or just like bothering you you're like oh i just wish that like i had more space i wish this person was near me and you you start just seeing them as like just some annoying nuisance but like these little stories of like this this could have been somebody that you were like sitting next to on the subway or you were going to work together with and just commuting and then they they have this like depth of human experiences that are often very similar to you and i just i just love that account i do too and it's especially true of new york where like there is that sentiment of like overcrowded overpopulation like get out of my way like i just need to get to my destination and so that specific one like humans of new york it like makes you pause to really just like understand the different people that make up the city Mm -hmm. um it breaks through it kind of like 
breaks down the, the New York mentality of like the overpopulation a little bit and like lets you pause and like focus on the people, which I think is nice. Have you ever heard of uh, this is a I I love accounts like this, but this is the last one. Um, yeah. so it's called uh, Conversations with a Stranger. Hmm, I don't think I have. Is it uh, an Instagram account? Um, yeah, I think so. Um, I think it's, I, th- I don't know, we'll see. Let's, let's go in. <laughs> 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 but yeah, Conversations with a Stranger. And I, I see it often. I'm not sure if that's the actual name for it. Mm-hmm. But um, here, I'm just going to take a quick second. <laughs> okay. <look> <laughs> Conversations with a stranger yeah conversations with a stranger oh mm. we'll see if if i can't find it immediately i am just going to link it in the description or maybe okay. it's a series by somebody else who has a different um, instagram name but yeah. um yeah i know this is different but anyway so um this guy just goes up to people and says, um, uh, he asks them a question, like a very, very uh, simple yet deep question. And then it's just like two minutes of them answering. And it's it's so sweet. Uh, one of my favorite ones was, um, uh, what is the most pain that you've ever felt that wasn't physical? Mm. And um, this one guy, uh, his response was just so beautiful. And I thought it was very, very sweet. He said um, the most pain that he ever felt that wasn't physical was um, the fact that he was in love with someone that he knew nothing was ever going to happen with her. um, And he's never going to tell her that he loves her um, and he knows nothing's ever going to happen. And um, that some people in life are merely just an idea to you. um, And that's just all they will ever be for you um and i just thought that was a very beautiful moment and he was like very vulnerable and very mature and yeah. i i don't know i just thought it was a beautiful video and i saved mm-hmm. it and i sent it to my friends mm-hmm. i was like isn't this gorgeous <laughs> <laughs> like i i don't know i just thought it was a very human moment from him yeah that sounds cool you'll have to share it with me when you find it I'll yeah check it out. it's this like uh probably like 21 year old boy that's just in love with oh. a girl that he's never going to tell her how he feels about her yeah i wonder if he ever ends up telling her after all i feel like that would be such a compliment like even if the feelings aren't returned like that would be like one of the kindest things somebody could say to you like hey i know we're not right for each other but like i think that you are fantastic yeah for sure yeah take that (laughs) risk (laughs) speaking of taking risks and things like that i i noticed that like you lived in a bunch of different places Mm-hmm. um like from early childhood obviously but like like post college and and moving around yeah what is that that experience like for you because i haven't experienced that yeah i think about this a lot and i always wonder if it stems from like living in many places growing up mm-hmm. um but at least like post college it's always felt like each place that I've decided to live in was like in some way, shape or form influenced by a career move or progression in my career. Um, I was actually just talking to my dad about this the other day that like after I 
after I graduated from college, I went back to New York. I worked in New York for a couple of years. And then I went to Boulder, Colorado, where I worked for this like incredible advertising agency. And when I went out there, I was like, I'm only going to give it a year because Boulder is like super far from home. And I thought at that time, I thought New York was just like the best place in the world. And why would I ever want to leave New York? But I'm going to take this chance, work at this agency, give it some time, and then I'll go back. And that was always going to be my plan. And then after I spent a good amount of time in Boulder, more than a year, um, I was like, I'm not going to go back to New York. Like, I'm going to go to L.A. because I would go on like shoots in L.A. And I thought L.A. like was now the coolest thing. Um, <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> like discovering these new places that were like opening my eyes um, Versus before I was like, New York's the best. I will never leave. I will go back. But then as I started to explore more places, I was like, oh, interesting. There's this whole new world out here that I didn't even know existed. I'm going to explore this place now. And Mm -hmm. I learned very quickly after living in LA for a brief stint. I was like, I don't know if this is for me. Like, it's really pretty with the beach, but there's a ton of traffic. And I didn't really, it didn't feel like I belonged there. Um, And when I went up to visit San Francisco for the first time, it immediately jived with me. Like I felt a sense of just like belonging to that city. Like I felt like it was a calling in some way. And I ended up leaving LA after like six months and then living in San Francisco for about 12 years. And that's where I ultimately met my partner. That's where we started our family. And then most recently we've lived in Austin for about two years um and this was probably the first move in a while that uh wasn't influenced by a job per se but more so like quality of life for our family so Mm -hmm. yeah it's been a lot of different places um influenced by different decisions explorations realizations um but it's been a a cool journey I think that's two totally different experiences of like okay I'm living someplace for six months I really don't vibe with it um I'm just gonna pick up everything and go like I'm sure you were like like you ended a lease early like I'm sure that was a big decision but that it was also like just you and then the move from San Francisco to Austin that's a totally different perspective and responsibility and other people are involved yeah Yeah, the move from San Francisco to Austin was actually something that my partner and I were thinking about for like years. Mm. And I think it was like in 2018, we first thought about it. And our family was growing and the Bay Area is super expensive. And we're like, let's go visit Austin and see if we even like it. And so that was Mm. the year we came out here. We explored with our two daughters at the time. And uh, they were super little. And then we like, got to know the city a little bit more and we liked it it just things like job wise for both of us it just wasn't like panning out at that time but we knew at some point maybe we could see ourselves living there and then fast forward like two years from then um we had our third daughter we were living in Oakland close to San Francisco and at that time the pandemic was like in full force and we're like Mm. well we're all home this tiny rental in Oakland like should we revisit the Austin idea again and that's when we made uh the decision to finally like make the move what was that like when when you finally decided yes we're going to do this because you'd been thinking about it for so long 
It was exciting. Um, you know, like I said, I, I was living in the Bay area for over a decade. I hadn't moved, um, to a new place in a long time for, for someone who had moved quite a bit, like in my life, I was like, yes, let's do this again. I can't wait. <laughs> so yeah. I was like ready and I love San Francisco and I love the Bay area, but it definitely felt like time to leave, um, yeah. and explore something new and especially like explore something new now that I had a family, mm-hmm. um, since when I first moved to San Francisco, it was just me. And so it was kind of like special to be leaving with not just me anymore, but like my partner and our kids. And we're kind of like starting fresh together in this new place. So it was definitely exciting. What was that conversation like with your kids about moving? They were really, yeah, they were little. Um, I think the upside is that like they, so at the time we had a five month old, so she literally had no idea what was going on, which is great. Um, (laughs) And then we had, uh, she was three, Ava was three at the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, also like, it's like, Hey, you're moving to a new place, new house. Cool. Like a three-year-old's going to like, she's good at going with the flow. And then Sophie, who was in the first grade, it was a little harder because she had friends like she was in elementary school she had friends she was close with that are, that were neighbors and so that was definitely you know hard for her to like leave her friends but um you know we told her we'd be able to write to them and that was exciting the thought of having pen pals and of course facetime and all that so after the initial you know um not really shock but like expectation setting of like hey we're moving after that wore off I think everyone was just feeling excited and it was like this adventure we were going on together that's so that's so different yeah from anything that I've experienced yeah it just seems very special it is do you ever think that you'd want to live or explore a new city or venture out and um I don't know. I I don't know if I want to uh, be in Philadelphia forever. Um, Especially, uh, (laughs) I was telling you before we started recording that there was like some stuff going on in my neighborhood. And so um, I'm like, I don't know if I want to be here forever. But um, I don't know, I've done I've done a decent amount of travel outside the US um, and around the country. So that's cool. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of in like the point of my life where genuinely, I don't know what my life is gonna look like two years from now Mm -hmm. um and so that's just like a unique thing to experience I'm sure like when I'm when I'm older and um uh maybe I'm more more established and more settled um I'll be able to say confidently what my life would be like five years from now um but at the moment it's still a surprise to me (laughs) yeah I mean I think it's always a surprise like we can never like confidently you know claim what our lives will look like in like a year two years five yeah. years which is like the beauty of how life tends to pan out I think um for sure yeah um I I like to ask this question you don't have to answer if, if you don't want to um but uh how has your life or like maybe how has your perspective on on life um changed after having kids because that's not an experience that I've had um Mm. just very interesting to me yeah it's kind of like helped me to like be more present because they grow so fast Mm. 
like the other day I was like looking at our oldest daughter who's almost 10 and I'm like how is it you're almost 10 like that is crazy I remember her as just like a teeny tiny cute little chunky baby and now she's like almost a teenager it seems like and so it's it kind of forces me to like be more present and like take in the moments as they happen because it's just before you know it like you know your kid is like a teenager or graduating college or getting married or having their own kids and life just tends to happen and go by quickly so that's probably the biggest perspective shift that I've had is just like trying to slow down and take in those special moments um and really just like try and slow down and be present in general Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's one thing to be there physically, but there's also another thing to be there uh, mentally, like not be so wrapped up in like, okay, so well, we have this activity and we have that and I have this thing going on at work and that's what you're thinking about at dinner. Yeah, and it's a forcing function for me to like compartmentalize, set more boundaries. Um, And even till this day, that's super hard for me because I like working and I like what I, I love what I do and I love where I work and So it's still, you know, something I'm continually working on, like setting those boundaries, turning it off. Can I ever fully turn it off? No. (laughs) Like if I'm giving the kids a bath, I'm like, wait, this campaign that we need to ship next week and like thinking, (laughs) you know, so there's always like a part of my brain that's like percolating on work, um, which, you know. I try and like be mindful of when it's happening, especially when I'm spending time with kids to like be fully present with them. Well, also like shower thoughts are a real thing. Like, (laughs) and and I'm like bathing your kids version of shower thoughts are a real thing. (laughs) (laughs) Like, like, yeah, I remember, I don't know. Sometimes just like, um, you're, you're so focused on something that you, it's hard to context switch. And so you, you have to slow down. Like if you're going really fast in a car, you can't stop like immediately yeah. you have to slow down to a stop so yeah, yeah or, or pros- processing things in your sleep or something like that yeah that is a thing that is yeah. totally a thing yep yeah <laughs> we we just did uh two hours isn't that crazy that's <laughs> so bye oh my gosh yeah um yeah thank you so much for spending time with me and you had such like thought-provoking questions some that I haven't thought of in like a long time if not ever so thank you for helping me relive some of those memories it's it's such a it's such a gift uh to to see your story uh unravel like over time over different stories over different things and um being able to really slow down and be present um, is a thing that that you're giving me when when you come and, and talk to me here it's I really oh, appreciate it yeah thank you well thanks for spending time with me and I love learning more about you too um I'll actually be in Philly in April and so really coffee yeah I'm going for my cousin's wedding um so I'll reach out and we can maybe grab cro- coffee and meet IRL that would be lovely I I will have uh plenty of places to recommend I've been living here for six years okay yeah awesome. <laughs> definitely Perfect. lean on you for that <laughs> yeah and um and if somebody's listening and uh they they think you're really cool and they want to reach out um or they want to follow you or something like that like yeah. what would be the best way of them doing that yeah for sure they can follow me on twitter 
Um, my handle is Jesperate <laughs> and on LinkedIn, I can share those links too, if you want to provide them um, in the comments, but yeah, please feel free to reach out. I also mentor on ADP list um, mm-hmm. and it's something I really enjoy doing and have enjoyed doing for a while. So I'm happy to speak to folks if they want to chat about all things design or life or whatever. I'll make sure that all of that is in the description so people can just click and go. They don't have to spell anything. They'll just Great. go directly. So that's perfect. And awesome. and if they're listening and they want to reach out to you, they should say like, hey, listen to your thing with M. And then yeah, if, totally. if they said that, then I would like you to let me know. If they, yeah, <laughs> they actually I will for that. sure. I will be very sure. cool. <laughs> yeah. So thank you so much. And I really hope this is just goodbye until next time or goodbye until coffee. Yes, it's, it's I'll see you soon. <laughs>